Business Class, a podcast sponsored by the iBear MBA program of the USC Marshall School of Business. Expert insight into the world of business. Hello, this is Dick Drobnik. I'm the director of USC's iBear MBA program. In this time of the COVID-19 pandemic, a time of collapsing economies, soaring unemployment, crashing asset values, and declining commodity prices, Business Class is launching a special series in which we explore the impact of the pandemic on business, markets, and global trade. We're talking with uh, James McGregor, the chairman of APCO China and uh, a longtime friend of USC and the IBEAR program. Jim, can you tell us a little bit about COVID-19 in China and what the effects of the disease have been on the Chinese economy and the business situation in China? And and how these effects have rippled out to the world. Yeah, I've been in the U.S. for the last uh, couple of months, um, but I'm quite in touch with my staff. And also, I'm on a a WeChat group with 80 CEOs of foreign companies in China. So I've been watching this unfold on, you know, how they closed down and dealt with that, and now how they're opening up again. So let me chat a little bit about that. First, everybody was scrambling to get uh, PPE and masks from the U.S. and Europe sent into China and, and how to do that. Um, you know, when do you close down? How do you close down? How do, you, how do people work at home on computers when, um, well, many live in these very large apartment buildings and apartment complexes where the more people online, the less bandwidth you have. And so when you've got, you know, 24 million neighbors all online, the internet was failing, and then you've got the problem with the Great Firewall. They had to, they had to go through a lot to keep their businesses going um, while this thing was in full bloom. But the way China handled it and the lockdowns that went on and the efficiencies of that um, were actually quite impressive. You know, I think China, it's well known that China very much bungled this at first uh, for a couple months, and that's why it spread worldwide. But once they got a handle on it, it was, you know, the, the, the typical efficiency of the Communist Party and their ability to, with all these neighborhood committees, watching everybody. Um, now, um, the situation has changed, of course, and China's getting back to business. Um, I've seen some indexes that say that China's at about 80% of production. Um, people are, you know, they're back in the offices, they're they're spreading the work out, you know, uh, still in many offices, only one third or one half of the staff will go on a given day. So if there's an infection, um, then they don't lose everybody. And there's, you know, there's a worry about a second wave coming through. Um, Supply chains are coming back together in many cases. Um, That took a while. The logistics uh, were terrible for quite a while. They didn't have truck drivers and logistics got very expensive. But now um, that things are back together, they're facing um, a demand problem. Um, the, you know, the exports have fallen off a cliff because people are, you know, the rest of the world is, is, is on lockdown. And domestically, the consumer in China is very tentatively uh, coming back. Um, and I think we're going to see some long-term uh, effects, not only in China, but the rest of the world, of course. I've, I've you know, talked to friends who uh, they're tired, they were tired of being cooped up for six weeks in, in their apartment with their family. Um, they're, looking, you know, they're looking forward to getting out, but they also came to the conclusion of that brutal hour-and-a-half commute I have uh, in Shanghai 
Um, I can get a lot of work done without doing that. So I think you're going to see a lot more working from home, you know, on and on and on the, the changes there. Actually, I was on a call last night with a bunch of these CEOs. And one of the things that was quite interesting was that um, because they're seeing uh, growth shrinking, they're talking about your growth has to come from your competitors' market share. So people that have cash on hand are, are cutting prices and um, you know, trying to uh, pull market share away from their competitors. The government is very tough on, on raising prices. Uh, Heidi Lau, this uh, large chain of hot pot restaurants, raised their prices by 10%. And uh, within a few days, the government got after them and they had to apologize. Just another another thing that that we are we are seeing is that um, people are looking how do they split their business. You know, there's there is um, there it, it can't be described as decoupling. I think it's probably better described as bifurcating, where you've got in China for China, um, and a lot of people are doubling down. They're moving more of their supply chain in step by step because they, they, they want to be uh, strong in the China market and they still believe the China market's got the growth ahead. Um, but they saw the fragility of their supply chains with too many eggs in the China basket. And so um, I think people are looking at, here's my China operation, and there's my rest of the world operation. Uh, it won't be that clean and neat in every case, but um, that's, that's what people are grappling with. Jim, to do that, requires a major investment by the companies to have, in, in essence, duplicate systems in China for China and in somewhere for the rest of the world. And are, are the CEOs thinking out loud about that? Uh, yes, yes. There's been such a, a risk by having too much in China. You know, manufacturing in China for the world, having your supply chain coming out of China for crucial parts for assembly you do elsewhere, um, that kind of a thing. So, you know, how much duplication there will be, I think part of it is just the, the real, the threat of, that they face on their supply chains um, in China. And um, I can tell you, I, I briefed a, a, a very large company board of directors uh, uh, back in January, and I've been talking to some other friends it's interesting to uh, this is you know the the concerns are are seeping in into the boardroom um, because it used to be you know the, we're talking you know China market access is very important uh, you know how do we deal with China market access what are our risks in China and now it's more and more what are our risks in China um, you know they're they're less worried about China market access and more concerned about protecting their companies from China. Um, that um, you know, having the supply chain too dependent on China, and also with um, the trade, the trade war that has really kind of been ramping up, and you know, the, with, with what's going on in Huawei and the, the very, very brutal um, anti-China uh, feelings that are widespread across Washington. Do you think that the anti-China sentiment in Washington is something that would survive this administration? Yes. It'll probably be a bit more rational, and it'll probably have more nuance to it. But uh, well, you know, wait. Let's see what happens with the election. You know, it looks like Trump is—he basically has to distract and blame other people for the, you know, the the messing up that happened in the first two months of this virus being in the United States. So he's blaming it on China, and you know, as we've seen, Secretary Pompeo calling it the Wuhan virus and the China virus. And they stopped that after Trump's call, but it's, 
know, uh, people describing to me in Washington, um, you going to meetings with, especially with the NSC, National Security Council, and the State Department, and businesses meeting with them, if you say anything that is even mildly fair about China, much less, you know, strongly pro-China, um, you get, you get, you get, you know, kind of vilified as a panda hugger, or you're naive, or you're a lobbyist. Um, friend of mine came up with the term uh, cheap China hawks. Uh, these are very strong anti-China people in Washington who have no research behind their views and many have never been to China. And um, there's a whole lot of members of Congress that are in that basket. It's really gone out, out, out of kilter. The CEOs that you're talking to, uh, I presume, are leaders of major firms that have a big presence in China, but a huge presence in the United States also. Are they worried about this uh, permanent decline in, in U.S.-China feelings, and, and are they thinking about uh, mounting some kind of lobbying campaign with the Congress? I think that right now it is so poisonous, it's pretty hard to talk to anybody. I think what, what people are kind of focused on right now in Washington, the lobbyists, is um, how do they tap into these various stimulus funds that are, that are, sure. that are coming out? That's very much a preoccupation, and it's global, actually. You know, China's now starting to come out with some things. Um, and, um, well, actually, there's quite a difference. Um, you know, the U.S. Is, is trying to shore up some of our major corporations and major industries and, and, and put money in the pockets of, um, of working people. And, we, you know, we could debate all day the fairness of the amounts that are going to who and, who and what and where. Um, China, on the other hand, is, you know, they're doing some tax breaks. Uh, they're doing some forgiveness or even rebates of social payments that companies have made. Uh, we don't see a, a, a huge stimulus package coming out like we did in the global financial crisis. They're being much more targeted. And they also are looking at, they got a two-month advantage uh, with the rest of the world closing down and they're back to work. And so one of the things um, we're seeing is a focus on instead of instead of doing a stimulus that helps in the short term, let's do major reforms that can lead to a long-term boom. And also, let's invest in the industries of the future. So there, uh, I think we're going to see them doubling down on Made in China 2025 money to really uh, fund you know, all of those industries. And money will be available to the foreign companies because they don't want to lose the, the, the foreign uh, tech companies in China. I mean, we just had Shanghai announced, uh, I think it was a week ago, you know, $63 billion in 152 investment projects. Then they announced uh, 26 new special industrial zones uh, with 60 kilometers of land. Now, some of this is repackaged things that they were already heading to do. But what they're trying to show is, we're going to do this to invest in the industries of the future. We're going to invest for long-term growth. And, you know, we'll, we'll see if it comes to pass, because a lot of times, you know, when China talks reform, they talk more than they do. I, happen to, I think there's going to be a lot of reform. The, uh, the state council and the, uh, the party central committee came out with statements the other day about, um, you know, very strong market-oriented reforms, about really carrying out the new foreign investment law. And a lot of it aimed at, you know, technology. They were talking about, uh, you know, 
unleashing deep market reforms and letting the market decide on land, capital, technology, giving equal access to foreigners. And they're also talking about making it easier for migrant workers to register in large cities, except for the largest ones. You know, they're not going to let them into Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, and some of the larger cities, but they're going to try to you know, move more people and be more lenient on people actually registering in a, in a city so their kids can go to school and get health care. So I'm expecting China to um, be fairly clever in opening up more because they have to. And also, I think in, in recent years, we've, there's been a lot of focus on state-owned enterprise and doubling down on state-owned enterprise which has been happening, but that's been very much aimed at, you know, maintaining the political power of the party. At the same time, there's been a lot of, a lot of money and a lot of effort put into entrepreneurship and venture capital, and that has not been um, as much of a focus in, in what you read. So, um, you know, I'm an American, I'm a patriotic American. I just think we should wake up and look at what China's doing and we should be replicating it in some ways. We need to be investing in our technology. We need to be you know, moving ahead. And actually, Washington, I, I will say Washington now in, uh, in Congress and among some of the companies, there is talk about uh, industrial policies, about, you know, building some industrial policies. You know, we do need long-term investment in technology and all that. And so who knows? We might, we might, we might learn from China on this one. Jim, you mentioned that China has corralled the virus earlier than anybody else and they're getting back, the economy's getting back to work, while the rest of the world is still trying to corral the virus and, and the economies are, are collapsing. Does this difference in cycle lead to some advantage uh, for China? Or does it just leave them flat because their industries have nowhere to export? Well, a bit of both, but um, you know, um, don't waste a crisis. And, you know, China is looking at themselves as having a, a two-month lead, and they're very focused on um, how do they move their economy ahead for another long-term boom, not just um, a short-term stimulus. So um, I, I, I think that they're very focused. Look, China's in a, China's, you know, lives in a very paranoid position. The world's out to get them, and it's them against the world. And so um, they're looking at how do they, how do they become um, more self-reliant? How do they become less dependent on America? You know, maybe decoupling is not the right word, but certainly um, to reduce and eliminate dependency. And remember, we got a new five-year plan coming out. You know, this, is, this would be coming out already if the National People's Congress was able to meet in March. And that's got a lot of, a lot of, um, uh, provisions in it aimed at um, reducing dependency, not only on America, but, uh, but, but the outside world. What is the likelihood that China can win this Cold War? By, by win, I mean become more self-sufficient. You know, Dick, the tech industry leaders in America realize China's going to catch up. Um, and they don't want to be blocked from the China market because they want to, you know, they, they want to be part of the large market. But they also figure, you know, look, if we've got five more years of good, strong sales in China, we can use that money back home to innovate and to, and to keep ourselves ahead. But if we are blocked from selling to China out of a fear there that we're going to help them catch up, um, then we might just be, you know, really hurting ourselves. 
there's no doubt China's going to check. You know, we have to compete. We're not going to, you're not going to win by containing China. You're going to win by competing. And also, um, you know, this is a favorite hobby horse of mine. Um, let's start being nice to Chinese people in America. You know, let's, you know, the China virus, the Wuhan virus, it's leading to incredible prejudice. All of the investigations going on at universities. Okay, some of that is merited, but, uh, you know, are we going to scare all the Chinese talent out of the United States? You know, we should have a thousand talent program or maybe a 10,000 talent program where, you know, we open a green card through these people and and then we invite them in. And, and you know, security is one thing, but immigration is another. We cannot not have the top Chinese talent want to live in America. Jim, are you aware of this anti-Chinese feeling outside of the United States? And uh, if you have any examples that you could mentioned that would be uh, interesting for Americans to, to hear. And, and secondly, is China thinking about ways to, to combat uh, or overcome this growing anti-Chinese feeling that might affect their market access, uh, that might affect their uh, international diplomacy? Oh, very much so. Well, what I can tell you is that you, uh, China is, um, is very active these days in sending doctors and medical equipment and masks and PPE around the world. Um, Xi Jinping is on the phone daily with different uh, leaders of other countries to ask them what they need and how China can help because um, they're trying to dig themselves out of a hole. Um, but they're, you know, they're doing a lot of, a lot of diplomacy and a lot of aid, you know, Jack Ma, even, you know, the, some of the rich Chinese are, are, are joining. I, I, I was told last night that Hong Kong airport, the, uh, the passenger flights are down 96%. The cargo flights are um, as big as they've ever been because there's so much of, of this medical um, um, materials going around the world. Um, it backfired on China early on because the materials that were going were often um, subpar um, and because it wasn't well regulated on the quality and now they've got very stringent quality requirements and they've, they've made a recovery on that but you know, china's uh doing trying to do um recovery diplomacy very very actively it's going to be a new paradigm it may not be a cold war but it's going to be kind of a post-covid war as as things sort out and settle down a bit how do you do business globally how do you do business in china how do you do business in the rest of the world how do chinese businesses get out there's going to be a, there's going to be a lot of movement and, and, and a, a lot a lot of change going on, um, but the path we're on now in in both countries of demonizing each other and trying to build up hate and trying to blame each other because China is just as bad on blaming America and 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 demonizing America as America is demonizing China. Um, if both sides want to continue to head down this road, this is not going to be pretty and it's very unnecessary because, you know, let me end with, let, let's look at the real world here. Chinese and American people get along. We're very compatible in the way we think. Um, we're very compatible in our personalities. Um, our kids go to school together. They get married. You can hardly get in a taxi cab in Wuhan without the person telling you about his cousin in Chicago. I mean, the political DNA is very different in both places, and we're both now being led by people that have taken um, things to an extreme. Um, and that's not going to, we got we got both sides got to wind that back. 
Jim, thank you very much for sharing your ideas and knowledge, and I'm glad that you are feeling healthy and and doing okay back there. Look, I always uh, I always like to be involved with you guys at IDARE, with your, your class organization. Business Class, expert insight into the world of business. The host, Dick Drobnik, producer, Pankaj Bhushan, director, Dan Griffin, web developer, Rick Pine, and I am Robin Garthwaite.